0: mm You spooky listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Morbid Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Nicole. I'll be taking you through some of the most heinous, shocking, and morbid crimes, including, of course, the paranormal. Listener discretion is advised. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at morbid period curiosity period podcast where you can find photos related to our cases, including crime scene photos on occasion, of course, with the exception of postmortem photos. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of Morbid Curiosity. I am, of course, your great host, Nicole. Um, if you don't know me, hi, how are you? Welcome to the Spooky Fam. Welcome, welcome. Uh, join Facebook group under the podcast name and Instagram for any case photos, except post-mortem photos. We do not post that out of respect to the victims. Today, we are going to be covering the raincoat killer, a.k.a. Yoo Young-Chul. This is based in South Korea. Um, he was a vicious serial killer in the early 2000s, so, you know, not too, too long ago. He was fueled by his hatred for the rich and women. He claimed the lives of 20 people, although he claims he had... 26 victims. Now, his long rap sheet should have given police the idea that maybe letting him out of prison during his stint of crimes maybe not such a great idea. Uh, he did carry on to really horrible murders that we're going to cover today, and this is the story of the Ranco Killer. Also, before we get started, I just want to announce, um... My computer is finally fixed, so hopefully the quality of this new episode will be up to par for you guys. If not, please let me know by emailing me at morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com. Yoo Young-chul was born April 18, 1970, in Gochang County, located in the North Chola District, which is a rural part of South Korea. The county had a population of 53,151 as of March 2022. Now, his parents separated right after his birth, so he, along with his siblings, were raised by their grandmother for a few years before their father took them. Now, throughout his childhood, his parents did struggle financially, leading to constant bullying at school. Unfortunately, at the time of his childhood in 19, excuse me, 1997, Korea fell under a financial crisis where the rich got richer and the poor became poor. Now, when he eventually started elementary school in 1978, his teachers did say he was ordinary and obeyed the rules and it was an extremely hard worker. Now, off to middle school, June 12, 1985, his father did indeed die. Now, middle school is where he started to experience the bullying of others about his family's financial status, and that's when he started to have a disdain for rich people and began to grow into jealousy and hatred toward those. He did find solace in arts, as he loved to sing, paint, write, and read poetry. And play the guitar. He did have his eyes on a high school that specialized in these arts, but due to his poor academic performance, along with poverty and low grades, he unfortunately was denied. Now, he then had to settle into another high school called K High School of Technology. He did prove he was indeed talented in the arts, as well as some sports known that we know of, track and gymnastics, now, he eventually did quit that high school reasons unknown and instead started his rap sheet with police. By this time, you started changing. Use affinity for targeting the rich elderly has been attributed to the gap between social classes in Korea due to the unfortunate financial crisis that the country did fall into, like I said, in 1997. Um, he himself grew up obviously, in a poor household in Royal South Korea. He was bullied by his peers, as I did state, and it was due to his financial status. Many believe that the feelings of anger and resentment stemming from this childhood and his experience were exacerbated by the financial crisis. Now, as far as um, confirming his motive later on, we'll get to it, but they do speculate that the financial situation of his family, had him target the rich, and we'll get into why he targeted females later on. So, some early troubles. This timeline is by murderpedia.org slash darksideofsoul.com. He stole a record from a Siwon shopping center, obviously felt no remorse. He did have a leadership role at school. He abused the students and he obsessed with an older woman who lived near the school. Now was this lady rich? We don't know. As of August 23rd, 1988, that's when he started his crimes. His crime at first was theft. He was sent to juvie for trespassing at night and told his friends he had been working in Jeju. April 1991 on his way to court he came across a wooden cross picked it up believed that it was a uh, revelation from heaven again same year 1991 he had a theft where he was sentenced for 10 months um he did believe that he would be given probation during this little crime but he was sentenced to prison instead he stated quote there is no god and broke the cross and threw it on the floor june 1991 while he was 21 he did marry Mo, a skin masseuse at a cosmetic store. Not that kind of masseuse. Now, she um, pretty much was rescued. She was being chased by some debtors, and I guess he intervened. That part of the story was not clear. September 1991, he was sentenced to 10 months in prison because he did steal 230 uh, won and a neighbor's guitar. He was released September 21st, 1993 and was exempt from military. I'm assuming because of his crime stint. Now, medical-wise, in 1993 to 95, he did have treatment of mental disorders caused by the mental lobe epilepsy, and he was released from treatment in 1994 during the summer, October 26, 94. Him and his wife had their first son. Um, in 94, it was stated in several different reports that his brother, sibling, he had a brother and sister. Uh, Names were unknown, so I did not list them. But apparently his brother was distressed over um, his blindness and committed suicide at 32 by jumping into the Han River. This was not totally confirmed. I could not find a confirmation death certificate or anything, so take that as you will. 1995, he did get caught selling child pornography. Um, He was sentenced to pay 3 million won. He uh, he also works as a studio photographer at night, and he poses a police officer as well. That badge, his fake police badge, is on Instagram. Go check it out. He also extorted money from shopkeepers who sold porn, and he was also sentenced um, for impersonating a public official. in 1998 he yet again kept going with theft forgery identity theft he was sentenced to two years in prison for he was released May 19 1999 2000 is where he started to escalate Um, he did rape a 15 year old girl was sentenced to three years six months in prison he was arrested for impersonating a minor to meet up with said girl And, unfortunately, did rape her in the car. Now, he also had this stupidly brilliant idea, and I say that sarcastically. Um, He faked an epileptic fit and was hospitalized and then tried to escape. So, he did not want to go to prison for that one. October 27, 2000, his wife, uh, after that happened, said, yeah, no, and left him, divorced him. He was sent to prison. After, you know, because he did not escape successfully. (laughs) Uh, September 11th tw- 2003, excuse me. He was released from prison after serving his time and September 24th 2003, not even a couple of days later. Um he did start his murder spree. One of his quotes that he said was women should not be sluts and the rich should know what they have done. As you can see he did spend most of his early 20s all the way up until his later 20s in and out of the prison system going from petty theft all the way to serious sexual abuse of minors now um, some people ended up changing in prison right they turn over their life to God they forge a new path they turn over a leaf and they're you know changed right but not you now in prison People say during his time in the slammer, this is the point where he finally started to break down and got so angry, had so much hatred and wanted revenge. He stopped speaking to other inmates and started to actually segregate himself, avoid people, wanted to be alone and he plotted. Now he did plan to kill his ex-wife and his son, but instead decided to start to kill others. He stated that he would murder people living around a church, and even wrote the number of people he planned to kill on his prison wall. I wish I could have found that photo, but I couldn't. So, whether that is verified or not, nah, I don't know. That's just as what I found. Now, vowed he did. He vowed to study other serial killers, as actually some other serial killers normally do. Um, he wanted to perfect his methods which he indeed did study, and he did try to perfect his methods, Um, he did study a serial killer in Busan. His name was Jung Do-young. He was a killer in Busan, in Korea. Now, after prison, Yu spent his time in prison, and like I said, was released later on, September 11, 2003. After his release, it is said That he went and purchased weapons, started to practice for his planned murders, and unfortunately, um, it is said that he did practice on dogs as he would bring them up to a secluded mountain, stab the dog, but he, you know, ultimately was put off by all the blood and, of course, the dog was screaming and squirming, trying to get away, so he decided it was best to just hit the victims in the head, knock them out first, right? This brings us to September 24th, 2003. This happened in Shinse-dong, um, Korea, around 10.10 in the morning on the 24th of September, 2003. He broke into a wealthy couple's home, and um, it belonged to 73-year-old university professor Lee dong sun and his wife Lee yun uk who was 68 now Lee was stabbed in the neck with a knife and then he proceeded to bludgeon the two to death with a homemade hammer which is also on instagram go look the hammer he used throughout his many murders was one that he had actually customized to fit his grip he replaced a standard long handle with a shorter one and filled in the gaps with silicone now the hammer did weigh around 4 kilograms or 8.82 pounds Before leaving the scene, he did wipe everything down. He staged the scene to look like a robbery, uh, motivated murder by trashing the entire closet of the couple without actually taking anything. Obviously did not do a great job. He then locked the front door, exited via the main gate. He realized, oh crap, I left my knife behind. So he did smash the doorknob, went and retraced his steps, retrieved his knife. Police found shoe prints at this scene that would eventually be linked to the next few murders. Now, I will tell you, he may have been very motivated, but he was not great at cleaning up after himself. um, Which I'm glad he didn't because, you know, he got arrested, whatever. But I'm just saying, like, obviously, you thought it through, but you didn't think it through that much. (laughs) This brings us to October 9th, 2003. So, October 9, 2003, in Gugidong, Korea, around 10.40 a.m., he broke into yet another house. Um, He did come across the grandmother, Mo Kang, 85 years old. He smashed her head with a hammer and then stabbed her. The owner's wife, Lee Mo, who was 60, came downstairs, saw the scene in front of her. He threatened her and sat her on the sofa, asking who was upstairs, to which she replied, her husband and son. He told her to bow her head, but when she didn't, he kicked her in the stomach and bludgeoned her in the head. The son, name unknown, who was 34, came down the stairs, and you dragged him back up the stairs, forcing him to kneel and, unfortunately, hammered him to death. He continued through the house to find the husband, who was actually not home at the time. He then proceeded with the robbery staging of the scene, trying to make, um... The safe appeared to be broken into. Like the other crime scene, his shoe prints were left behind and police began searching their database. October 16, 2003, in Samsung Dong, um, he killed Yo Jon 69 who was the wife of a millionaire after breaking into their home around 12 30 p.m after asking her if anyone else was in the home she replied there wasn't he dragged her into the bathroom and bludgeoned her with his hammer she was actually still alive around an hour later when she was actually found by her son but unfortunately she did not survive the attack and died in the hospital later Police were stumped. Now, the victims didn't seem to be related to each other, nor had the murderer had taken any of their values, so they were confused as to why these people were targeted, what the motive was, who could possibly be linked to all these random people. They were having, like, the hardest time. Now, aside from some footprints, they did catch him on CCTV footage um, from the street and investigators had few clues about who he was actually. November eighteenth, two 2003 um, in Hei-hue-dong, uh he forced entry into yet another home around 11 a.m. He was faced with the housekeeper named Bei Jihai. Now, that person was 57. Bei asked him who he was and he then brandished his knife, demanding to know where the master bedroom was. Kim Jong-suk, 87, the homeowner, um, was found by you in the master bedroom, lying in bed, um, sleeping or not sleeping, that's not confirmed. He did bludgeon him to death with his hammer. Meanwhile, the housekeeper, who was holding a baby, was trying to keep it safe. However, you know, he took the child from her, placed it on the sofa in the living room, covered it with a blanket tightly to muffle its scream. Um, He then returned to the master bedroom where he hammered the housekeeper to death. In his typical fashion, he proceeded to stage the whole scene, um, opened the safe with a pickaxe, and pruning shears found out the residence. He tried it, whether it was cracked or not, unclear. After accidentally cutting himself while trying to open a safe, he split the knuckle of his right middle finger. He set the house on fire to destroy any possible DNA evidence by putting newspaper and clothes around Bay and lit them on fire. Now, he waited outside to uh, see it burned down to make sure that everything was going to be destroyed. However, it did not destroy the bodies and the first floor bedroom. Later, the baby was rescued by uh, Jong suks daughter daughter-in-law. The only clues that police had from the scene were some sh- shoe prints, of course, and CCT footage of the perpetrator walking away while wearing a sweater from the victim's closet to hide the blood. So, that's where the CCT footage came in. Now, after this, I guess maybe it spooked him. I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. He did pause in his murders on after November 18th. So, you moved to an office tell in Nogosandong and continued posing as a police officer to extort money. At some point in late 2003, you began dating an escort. The two of them lived together for two months, but once she discovered his criminal record, the girl was smart and ran. <laughs> okay. Um, she discovered his criminal record, educational background, previous marriage. She told him, never come for me, don't look for me, don't call me, don't whatever, do not communicate with me ever again. This event, in combination with his ex-wife who also left him, is attributed by many to have inspired his next killings and the type of victims he then selected. Now, meanwhile, you had started to focus on a different kind of victim, which was sex workers. He'd hated women ever since his divorce, after his ex-wife divorced him, after he raped the 15-year-old girl, which who would blame her, Um, and he had even considered killing his ex-wife, like I said before, but his hatred escalated after this girlfriend was like, peace, you're a horrible person, I don't want nothing to do with you. His wife had worked in a massage parlor, like we, you know, previously denoted, right? Um, and his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend now, uh, worked in a telephone room. If you can see my air bunnies, they're there. Which often doubled as prostitution. So, you know, he then started to target women who reminded him of them. So, he started calling sex workers from Seoul massage parlors to his apartment. This is a quote from um, Hyun Jung Young. don't take it slow I'll mess it up but quote Mr. Yu thought that the reason he lived a miserable life was because of the rich after divorcing his wife who was a masseuse he shifted targets to be women who had the same job so comes along March 16 2004 um he called for a quote business trip massage aka prostitution service he posed again as a police officer who was supposedly catching prostitutes uh kwan jin he answered the call out and he took her back to his place he did strangle her and proceed to dismember her corpse he used a jackknife. uh he removed her head hung it on a trash can to drain the blood cut her arms, legs, and torsos in the shower with the music on. That way, I guess it wouldn't be loud for the neighbors. He divided the dismembered parts into ten small black plastic bags and then four larger bags. He then took a taxi, dumped her remains under a trail, excuse me, on a trail under a tree, keeping the bags just in case his fingerprints were on them. And this was behind Sogong University Library, and so began his new modus operandi. April 14, 2004, unlike his murders of the rich, elderly, and prostitutes, he murdered a random street vendor um, named An Jason, who was 44. Um, Jay was selling fake Viagra and porn in the Sanjung building. After packing for the day, he headed to his Kia Besta van, where Yu then showed his fake ID, yet again, and accused him of violating the Pharmaceutical Affairs Act. Now, he handcuffs him, put him in the passenger seat of the van. He became suspicious as, you know, he's no fool and could spot fake IDs, right? Combined with the fact that you was driving his van and was not with another officer or I mean, even a police car, you parked at or Orthopedic Surgery Clinic, excuse me, and grabbed his face, stabbing him in the neck and head. He believed Jason was dead and laid him under the back seat, but then he decided, you know what, I ain't gonna take this, I'm gonna kick you. So he kicked him from the back, right? He stabbed him in the thigh and tried to cover him with a bag beating his head with a hammer about 20 times. Because he cut himself during this whole ordeal yet again, he decided, you know what? The burning the place down went great the first time. I'm going to do that again. So he set the van on fire to destroy all supposed evidence, right? He put newspapers, clothes over his body, uh, went to his apartment to clean up and change his clothes. After this, he drove to Walmundo, Ichitan around 1 a.m. and parked at Semhul Petroleum Parking Lot in Sondong. He parked the car between two tanker trucks and tried to set off an explosion, which obviously didn't work. However, this did successfully burn the car and the body. So, he did successfully burn evidence, I will say. This particular murder is well reported for leaving the family's, um... Excuse me. The victim's family devastated. His two brothers did commit suicide. And the remaining brother attempted suicide. But now lives with psychiatric treatment. So not only. Of course you affected all victim's families. Um, Other suicides. We don't. We don't really know. But unfortunately. Not only did you lose one. You lost three. And one potential one. So. In my mind. Not only did you kill all of these people. But any successful suicides of the victim's families i feel he should have been um responsible for as well okay so as we know just kind of a backup here um kwan jin he the escort who he viciously murdered um you know as i talked about a minute ago i want to add on to that because i did kind of forget i kind of skipped this part on accident um Just so you know just a little bit more detail of this here um he did also handcuff or tried to handcuff her but she was feeling uncomfortable with the situation um yeah unfortunately it happened the way i stated but just a little bit more about what he did He did try to hide her identity by cutting off her fingertips with scissors and flushing them down the toilet. And he did mutilate most of the escorts that he murdered. Because not only did he murder her, he murdered nine more escorts and or prostitutes selectively, choosing women who were on the slim or shorter side, just so they would be easier to dismember and dispose of. So, just so you can hate this guy more, there you go. Now, it was believed that his targeting of these kind of women were due to his resentment towards his ex-wife, who worked in the massage parlor, and the ex-girlfriend, who was a prostitute. So, just so you know, um, that kind of tidbit of info goes along with the escort. Now, he committed his last murder on the 13th of July in 2004 also a quote that he said um he did claim that he was a cannibal as well just so you guys know he did claim that he did indeed eat some organs um flesh i'm not really sure about but he said it would believe quote cleanse his spirit if he did cannibalize his victims right yeah so after his murder just two days after committing his final murder He was arrested on the 15th of July, 2004. To evade suspicion of his previous activities, he would call prostitute businesses with different names, but they were actually all owned by the same man, Mr. No, uh, which ended up becoming his downfall. Because Mr. No thought it was strange that a previous girl had not been heard from after taking a job and thought maybe she had been kidnapped. Two other women also went missing, all after answering this guy's call um, from the number ending in 6523 or beginning with, I'm not really sure how Korean phone numbers work. I apologize. Now, Mr. No called other nearby parlors and spoke with the owners, hearing about other women missing as well from the same phone number. This common phone number belonged to the deceased mother of a missing girl who disappeared in late June. Um, whether we know if you was um, connected to that, um, I couldn't tell you, but it's awful suspicious. Now, like, like, just a tidbit, remember I told you he claimed he killed 26 people, so was this mother a part of that? We don't know. Uh, Mr. No contacted Inspector Yang from the Mobile Investigation Unit, or MIU. Um, sure enough, a call from the same number came in on July 15th at 2 a.m., no contacted his seniors colleagues and inspector yang the men split up with a woman in a taxi who they would follow to the back of sinchong grand mart you called to change the meeting place and again to complain that the woman was too tall and called again for another woman he was not satisfied with her meanwhile yang was searching for men's phone numbers in parks and alleys trying to find the culprit Yu eventually said he liked the third woman they sent and told her to meet him in the alley behind the Grand Mart. He appeared at the location and the men approached and body searched him. He was eventually handcuffed by Yang, who had rushed over and put him in the car. He was suspiciously chewing vigorously and the men tried to stop him and pry his mouth open. Yu was trying to destroy several business trip massage cards. That's what he was destroying evidence. Then his phone fell out, providing one more piece for the puzzle. The last digits of his phone number? 6523. He was then transported to Seoul Metropolitan Police Agency's Mobile Investigation Unit and was treated as a thief for the meantime due to their lack of evidence for any of the murders. The men who helped him in the arrest contributed to the investigation greatly and verified his history of police impersonation. He confessed quite quickly to the killings and said he killed 26 total people with the elderly couple in Sintong to the last woman he killed two days before his arrest. While in custody, he pretended to have a seizure. So, he did have a notch for acting epileptic or, you know having seizures or other medical issues trying to escape is you know and even in jail i must say you know you guys i I do work in a facility even in jail people do that people people continue to do this trick and i must say it does not work so if you ever get arrested and try that that don't work um his handcuffs were removed and he was left unsupervised with the door open um how that was allowed i have no idea He easily escaped went to the house to his house excuse me he destroyed evidence yet again you then went to a motel and bought 360 sleeping pills despite his escape he was captured around 11 to 12 hours later after mobile uh, patrols saw him at a roundabout crosswalk so he did not stay hidden for long upon his second arrest for the crimes he confessed all uh all of it to police He did add that he would talk with his victims for about an hour, asking about their personal lives before he would kill them. Throughout his time in custody, he changed his story many, 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 many times. Um, But he did agree to lead police to bodies, which I do have a photo of him leading them to bodies and them excavating the said bodies on Instagram. You cannot see the bodies. It is body bags. So just go check it out. It's very interesting. Um, You see him standing over the grave that he, you know, uh, made, which is very creepy. Now, during this expedition, he was made to wear a yellow raincoat and a mask to conceal his identity, hence the name Raincoat Killer, which notably wasn't so commonly used in Korea, but more so internationally in media. His apartment was searched and was reported to be clean, of course, because he went and destroyed evidence. And, um... He kept an obviously neat scrapbook. So, you had claimed that he had eaten some of the internal organs of at least four of his victims, either to cleanse his spirit or cure his supposed epilepsy. There is no solid proof he did this, but four corpses reportedly had no organs. Coincidence? Probably not. Now, though Yu later said he was sorry for what he had done, he also said that he would have kept on going if he hadn't been caught. He even admitted to killing random people who were neither sex workers nor the very wealthy. In all, he confessed to killing 26 people. Um, this is a quote from you, who said at his first trial in September 2004, quote, The media keeps saying that I've murdered so many people, but to me, it was only a mere start. I had no intention of stopping the killing, end quote. He also showed little um, revulsion for what he had done to his fellow human beings. (laughs) Um, No remorse whatsoever. And in a letter to police, he said he felt the most fear when his son called him while he was dismembering a victim. So, I can only imagine the psychological hell that child went through once he found out. You know, I remember that really weird phone call, if he remembers it at all. And my dad was actually dismembering a person during that phone call. You um, also said, "quote The scariest moment was not when I decapitated, excuse me. The scariest moment was not when a decapitated head fell off from a hanger, or when a headless body came running to me. It was when my son called to ask if I still had a cold." End quote. One of the criticisms of how the case was handled was regarding the lack of communication between police departments, which we see very, very often, unfortunately. Typically, the departments would keep to their own districts and would not talk to each other. They would not collaborate with them. They don't easily link across districts. And unfortunately, that kind of messed a little bit with the case. Um, They also would tend to only make their crimes public once they solve them in order to maximize promotions. Korean police also tended to rely quite heavily on confessions rather than actually for, you know, tested forensic evidence. These problems, combined with the lack of evidence, made solving this case way more difficult in the end than they actually needed it to be, And used capture was mostly thanks to the owner of Prostitution Services. So, thank you for your service, sir. Um, yeah. So, it's a shoddy police work for me. You know, is all I have to say. On many, many cases. At least, you know, back in the day. You know, here and there you find pretty good police work nowadays. But back in the day, it was not a thing. Now, later at a construction site um they did find some evidence though like before trial i'm assuming um unfortunately i couldn't confirm this totally but i'm assuming this was all found during their investigation or at least i hope it would be you know sometimes they find evidence during a trial but this was not here nor there could not tell you So, I don't, unfortunately, have the whole list of evidence that was found. I do know they found the 15-centimeter uh, jackknife that he bought for 30,000 won, the hammer that he customized himself, um, his gloves, two pairs, technically three, uh, or two, excuse me, the suede gloves and coated work gloves. So, the suede gloves he would use to climb over fences or walls, that kind of things that had good grip. The coated work gloves, he would wear to hold the murder weapons. So, and he also had a black shoulder bag that he would often wear. So, according to prosecutors at his trial, Hughes' disappointing family and economic environment transformed into hostility against the rich. He did appear in court on September 6, 2004 and was being charged with 21 counts of murder. In his first court visit, he apologized to the victim's families while maintaining that he had no intention of stopping the killings. That's kind of contradicting yourself, dude. He said he refused to return to court but was back two weeks later when um excuse me where he lunged at the judges now his next court appearance was supposed to be october 4th however he had attempted suicide um the preceding night by hanging himself from the wall fan in his cell but was stopped by the guards thankfully suffer man suffer you made everybody else suffer it's your turn now on october 25th you tried to attack a spectator in the courtroom who was cursing him and then agreed that he wouldn't cause any further disturbances. Shockingly, he faced the victim's family and said that the women deserved to be caught by him and murdered by him. Finally, on December 13th, he was found guilty of 20 counts of murder. Not sure where the one dropped off, but only 20 counts. He's down for the count, right? He was sentenced to death, which he died by execution. Um, the victim's families were compensated financially by the government due to a law in the country that states if the criminal is unable to compensate the families for the crimes, the government would, which that's a great, great great law, I think in my opinion. Uh, now, of course money doesn't bring back the person, but at least you can hold um, you know good funerals and, and, and get togethers for said person sorry for the pause, yeah now but since South Korea has a hold on executions I may have said he died by execution sorry he was set up for execution Korea had a hold on executions at the time so he's currently serving time at the Seoul detention center uh, one of 60 death row inmates the last executions of criminals on death row was in 1997 and um, a moratorium was enacted the next year meaning that no further executions have taken place since then so no executions death sentences since 97 in Korea In you know interestingly there was a lot of discussion surrounding the abolishment of capital punishment in South Korea before his arrest but after his crimes came to light public opinion kind of swayed obviously to death sentence and you know while ca- capital punishment is still permissible and still given out in sentencing it's not currently in operation, so you can still be sentenced to death, but not be executed in Korea. So, now, mind you, this was early 2000s. If this law is still in place, um, I would have to check for you guys, because I forgot to check. I ain't gonna lie. Now, during the court proceedings, a psychologist stated that you had an antisocial disorder, um, yet he was not mentally ill in any other way, and he knew the difference between right and wrong. So. He merely chose to ignore it, punish those who he seen, deemed worthy of death. And they said, quote, I hope this teaches... Excuse me. You once said this on national television. He said, quote, I hope this teaches women a lesson that they shouldn't be sluts. I also hope this teaches the rich a lesson as well. Kind of similar to the quote that we stated earlier, but this is just what he said on national television. So, aftermath... Um, one of the police officers stated this type of case was unproceeded in Korea at the time. Now, this was one of the police officers involved in the investigation, name unknown. As the documentary describes, you can watch the documentary on Netflix, um, it is The Raincoat Killer. You can watch it. Very, very interesting. I watched it, I pulled info from it, photos from it, it's great, great informational. Um now, as the documentary describes, you was able to kill so many people for so long because the flaws within the Korean, pl- woo, mouthful. Korean police force, excuse me, for example, police work strictly, like I said earlier, in their districts only. They don't share information with other forces or districts. They just do their own thing. When they did share info, it was only about successful arrests. So, they would only share, hey, we arrested this guy, promotions. They wouldn't be like, hey, we have this serial killer on the loose. What do you guys have? You know, they wouldn't communicate. And they never talked about the failure of unsolved cases. They pushed those under the rug, focused on what they could solve, and, you know, celebrated that instead. So, unfortunately, a lot went um, unknown unshared probably untested forensic wise because they didn't focus on forensics they focus on testimonies um, more than forensics unfortunately now in the aftermath of his arrest the Korean police force underwent massive changes to fix its inefficiency and corruption so at least one good thing came out of that being you know not that they undone the the uh death row inmates holds but that they tried to fix the corruption and inefficiency of the police departments as a whole so hopefully that has helped other people to not have to go through the same thing as for now guys that is all i have for the raincoat killer if you want to learn more or get more inside of um you know you young Chula's head or the police detectives or forensic officers or anything like that you can go to netflix and watch the raincoat killer documentary i thought it was very very good had really great information and it really brings you inside of the case so other than that i do have video or excuse me pictures already posted on Instagram for you to go view just the warning they are bloody crime scene photos Um, I don't have don't worry I don't post post postmortem photos of bodies uh, dismemberments etc 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 unless they are completely blurred out and you cannot see it but you get the idea in your head of what the crime scene was Um, there are postmortem photos of the bodies in body bags but you can't actually see the person so i don't really count that as um hey look this is a dead. Per-. you know what i mean it's just showing you wow like he led them to this grave and this is you know his kind of thing um also speaking of graves he did mark them only with things that he knew about um that was in the documentary that i forgot to put that i just now remembered Um, He marked them in a way that only he would identify the graves. So, without his help, police would have been stumped. They would have never found anybody. Um, Because he hit them really good, honestly. Uh, But yeah, go check out the Netflix. Go check out Facebook. Go check out Instagram. um, And join us in two weeks to get another episode. The schedule is posted on Facebook group. So, hope you um, go check it out so you are aware of what's going on. Hope you guys have a great weekend and catch you next time. Well, guys, that's all for today's episode make sure you tune in bi-weekly we are every other monday for another riveting case where i will traumatize you more than you probably already are (laughs) so thank you for listening uh don't forget to check out the instagram at morbid period curiosity period tc podcast for photos related to each case that i cover Feel free to send me spooky crazy stories or case suggestions at morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate the podcast on Spotify and Apple Pod or whatever you're listening to us on. Um, I do appreciate all you spooky listeners. Please stay kind, stay spooky, and for the love of God, don't murder anyone.